Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, April 4th, 2021, and today is Resurrection Sunday. Can I get an amen? See, we're going to be continuing on the ancient path today. We're not leaving the ancient path just because of a calendar. We're actually going to stay right there on the ancient path, and we have determined, we are determined to walk in this way. We're not only going to ask the Lord for the ancient past, we are going to walk in this good way. And I can tell you something today. We don't have any celebrities in the house. There's no video testimonies from someone that seems to be great in, the, in, in Christianity and in churchianity. We're not going to have any giveaways. There's no cars that are going to be surprised. You get a car and you get a car. None of that. No TVs getting given away because we think that that's what you need to come to the house of God. The only celebrity that is in this house is Jesus the Christ. We are going to uphold him, his name, and the very word of God above all else. We don't even have a desire to lift anything close to what the word of God says. And we're going to bring it to you today with all of our heart. With all of our heart that you might understand and feel the resurrection power of our risen Savior today. Amen. In order to feel that resurrection power today, we're going to ask for the ancient paths because we are determined to walk in them. That is the end goal and the point by which God is displaying them to us. So everybody say this with me. Say, we can do it. We can do it. We can walk in those ancient paths that God has given us and we can experience resurrection power right here, right now, today. Now, I want to invoke something right now. I want to invoke my Spanish-speaking skills. Get ready. Yes. Get ready. Resurrection power work right here. Spanish-speaking skills that I have learned firsthand from our current first lady, Ms. Biden. I want to tell you, see, say, Podway. That's not how you say it. (laughs) Si, se puede. That's how you're supposed to say it. We can walk in the ancient past that God has given us. Realizing this, it's because on that ancient path, it's going to bring you into contention. In contention with ancient hostilities. Engaging in a bloody battle with your heavenly warrior king. With a certainty that you're going to arrive at a bloody victory. A bloody victory over the ancient hostility of the ancient serpent. But we left one out last Wednesday when we covered ancient hostilities. We didn't mention one of the main opponents, the main hostilities of all mankind that affects all of creation. That's the ancient enemy of death. Praise be to God that our great savior, warrior king, is still alive and proving that death has been put underfoot. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 25. Resurrection power, amen. Si se puede, that's right, man. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last, say the last. The last. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now let's see death for what it really is. Death is the end of your days. Death is the end of your time here on earth. But realize this as declared by the word of God. Death itself 
will also have an end of days. Death itself will be destroyed and put asunder. This is the hope that we have. But we want to go to some ancient text to begin to learn about this more. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Yep, we're going there. I know that all came right to your minds whenever you read 1 Corinthians 15. (laughs) That's right. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. We want you to understand the backdrop of what uh, what a Resurrection Sunday is all about. So we're going to ancient texts for you to understand some ancient principles along this path. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 says this. It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days. Somebody say ancient of days. Ancient of days. Took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Yeah. Come on, almost as much fire as Alicia's hair today. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. Now, I don't want to go off into this very much. It just strikes me as very interesting that you're talking about the throne of the ancient of days. And we start immediately talking about the wheels that are on his throne. Now, this is not like some wheelchair that he needs to get around. You need to think more like a Merkava, more like a tank, more like a war vehicle that our God is on. And it's almost like it should call to remind, remember, it's Ezekiel chapter 1. Well, you got some rims that are high and awesome. That just makes me so happy that in the word of God, the spinners that God has on his throne are high and awesome, man. I love that. Wheels are what make a ride, brother. (laughs) Verse 10. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. We're going to introduce to you the title of today's sermon. As you can have already guessed in our ancient past series, this, this sermon is called Ancient of Days. Everybody say Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days. What you're getting here in Daniel 7 is a picture of the Father, the Ancient of Days, and he is claiming his seat of authority over all that exists. Now, if you understand when Daniel is saying this, you can understand that he is in some very dark days, like the dark days of Jeremiah that Daniel is speaking of, and yet he is prophesying about even more, even darker days that are yet to come. I can assure you that no matter how dark the days that we are in will get, and they will get darker. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, it's going to get dark. It's going to get dark. Look at the other neighbor that you didn't want to talk to this morning and say, it's going to get darker. You have got to understand, church, that as we're beginning this picture in Daniel 7, this prophecy, this truth that is to come forth, Fourth, you are talking about an ancient of days who is here to make right everything. He is going to engage in battle, and you're going to see what this looks like. And let's skip on down to verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked. Before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Come on. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
as we begin to see or read about what Daniel is interpreting in his vision, he sees one like a son of man, one coming with the clouds of heaven, also known as the ultimate cloud rider. If you want to know some more about that, talk to us after service and later on today when we're barbecuing around the pool. The supremacy that God is exalting himself as in comparison to what's around him. But before we go, or before we uh, talk about that later on tonight, this should bring to mind something out of Matthew 24, 30. Hold your place, though, in Daniel 7. Let me read this to you. Matthew 24, 30 says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now this is in response to his disciples saying, what sign will there, will there be at your coming? How will we know that you are bringing your kingdom here to Israel on earth? When you begin to see this Son of Man Riding with the clouds of heaven. It's a key indicator. Well, because Yeshua has resurrection power, he will display that resurrection power in the fact that he is riding on the clouds of heaven. Well, Revelation 1-7 says this. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. This is speaking to the son of man. The resurrected Mashiach. The Messiah. And he approaches, as mentioned in Daniel 7. He approaches the ancient of days. And he was led into the presence of this ancient of days. There's an interaction of two entities that are at work here. One, the Son of Man, and the other, the Ancient of Days. But what the Ancient of Days then does, we see foreshadowing what will yet be fulfilled. The Ancient of Days bestows him with authority. He bestows upon him glory. But get this, this caught us this morning as we were reading it. And sovereign power. It's one thing just to have power. It's another thing to have sovereign power. What makes it distinct is that you can choose to utilize it at will. You can use it how, when, and however you desire to implement it. That's a wielding of power un, uh, unbeholded by anyone else. Only the Ancient of Days can, can give that to someone, and only the Son of Man that fits this criteria could receive it. As a result, all nations would worship him. It's almost like every knee shall bow and every tongue confess who he is. It sounds a lot like the book of Revelation as well. But did you notice at the end, it's not just dominion. There are nations that have risen and fallen throughout the course of time. World powers, superpowers that dominated for hundreds, if not sometimes centuries in a region. But none of them have ever lasted forever. There's only one kingdom that will dominate and dominate forever. And that is the one that the son of man is king and warrior over. That is the one that the ancient of days has established and invited us to participate into. Come on. Since you're still in Daniel 7, we're going to continue with Daniel 7, but we're going to look at verse 21. But before we read that, I want you to catch a few things from what pastor just said. 
You've got both in Matthew and in Revelation that the one who rides on the clouds is going to come. But what is the response from those on the earth? They mourn. In both passages, in Matthew and in Revelation, they begin mourning. Now, what a strange thing. Because for us, when we hear the terms, he who is riding on the clouds, we will see him. What do we think? Man, we know. We know it's the resurrection. We know that power is upon us. But the rest of the world sees that and says, oh, no. What have we done? We thought that wasn't real. Yes. We didn't know that he actually had power. We heard it, but we did not believe it. Oh, no. Wow. It's amazing that the same event without, uh, throughout the Bible can both bring great joy to those who love him and great despair to those who have not loved him. Look at Daniel 7, 21. As I watched... This horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Wow. You mean Daniel's speaking about very, very dark times? Yes. Look, verse 22. Until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom that we're talking about. See, the ancient days and the resurrected Messiah are here on the scene in the darkest of days that mankind will ever see. But they are bringing authority and the dominion of the kingdom to set right every principality and power in this earth. See, God brings judgment to the enemies and favor to God's holy people. He does both. That when God arrives on the scene, it's almost like there's always a battle that's in place. It's almost like it always takes a bloody battle to find this glorious victory that he's got. I want you to understand something as we're talking about resurrection today. The resurrection power, the ancient path to resurrection power is a bloody path. You heard it in the prophetic voices this morning. That God is a warrior and he is calling you forth. He is calling you to engage in the battle. He wants to use you to pick a fight with his enemies. Yeah. That's what the word that came forth was this morning. As you begin to shed the cowardice, as you begin to set aside everything else that you've been thinking. This is not a religious example here today before you. This is an example of the resurrection power that God is trying to stir up within this place. Amen. He's saying it's going to take you stepping forward, not being afraid to mess up, not being afraid of mistakes, but stepping forward. And he wants to use you to actually call forth the enemies that are against him. And isn't it our normal thought that if we're walking with the Lord, that the enemies start to hide and they go away as if we're walking through the Red Sea ourselves and the waters are just parting? Do you know why they had to get to the Red Sea? So God could pull out the enemies of Egypt's armies and put them down. He was judging both the natural enemies on this planet and he was judging the supernatural enemies that were trying to come against God's people. God, he's going to do both. That resurrection power means a whole lot more than we give it credit for. See, the possession of the kingdom, one of the things that we want to drill into you today is that the possession of the kingdom is first for the sons of Israel. Come on, the Gentiles, they're, they're, oh, we're, we're warming it. up. It's yeah. all right. It. The, the possession of the kingdom. It says here that the, the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment 
in favor of the holy people of the Most High. Israel is who he's talking about. The fact that you can also be included is a beautiful principle. And I promise we'll get to that too. But right now, you need to understand when you read this, come on, Acts 1 students, the Peshat is talking about the nation of Israel and God's judgments of favor is going to be for them first and then the rest of us. If you want to see this in an even clearer picture, let's turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. Say ancient of days whenever you get there. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You see and hear the declaration of relationship that God has with his people. And their name is Israel. Pick up in verse 5. Do not be afraid for I am with you, Israel. I will bring your children, Israel, from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. How can you not see that God is talking here about Israel and no one else? He's not mentioning Siberia. He's not mentioning Indochina. He is not mentioning even Texas. Oh. His, I know it's, it's hard to believe that. But we're going to transform your understanding this morning. He is speaking about one nation and one nation only. This is Israel. This has always been his plan for this land that included a man. Yeah. So let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, it says this. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Now hold on just a second. Before we go too far here. Understand what we're trying to do for every man, woman, and child in this room. We are trying to remind you of an ancient path of where resurrection actually comes from. And the purpose of resurrection. That's where we're going. But you have to understand the ancient paths so that you can actually get tapped into the right kind of power source. So that you can understand what the resurrection is all about. When it says all the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. If you're like me, you may have read that and thought, wow, this is great. Everybody's getting together. How nice. It's like a family gathering. Maybe they had just gotten through COVID. And so everyone was joining back together. Or you can understand that the pathway of resurrection is always through battles. These nations are not assembling so they can high five each other and sing and hug. They are assembling because they want to kill God's people. They are assembling. They are coming together in forces to oppose God and oppose God's people. So with that context, the correct context, let's keep reading. Which of them, which of these nations foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say it is true. This is contrary to popular belief. 
But the word indicates that these nations are gathering together and it's not good. It's a sign of the ancient hostilities and they're, they're gathering together to oppose God. But God is challenging the nations to see if any of them understood the ancient path and could proclaim it to him. He is challenging them to bring forth witnesses to prove their case. It's right there on the screen in front of you. It's right there in your lap. God is saying, you go ahead. Go ahead. Can you find any witnesses that would confirm your version versus what I'm saying? But they can't. They never can. And this is part of the process that we're looking at. Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Say, I am he. I am he. That's an important statement. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. When looking at this, do you see God's response to their challenge? All these nations who have gathered. All these nations who are looking to bring their witnesses to prove themselves right and God wrong. God is saying, I don't need to go find witnesses. I have witnesses. I have witnesses here within my very own nation. I'm declaring exactly who they are, what their function is. I'm going to exert my authority and dominion through them to overcome you. He is declaring that there is only one nation that is a witness to his character and his ancient path. That is the very nation of Israel. But the story continues. Look at verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. He is talking to his people and he is declaring his supremacy. He is declaring his dominion. Look at verse 13. Yes, and from ancient days, I am he. Yeah. Now the translation here would probably be even better. Before there were days... I am he. I am the one that is established. Look, it goes on to say, no one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? When God has set a plan out, he has given you the most ultimate rhetorical question possible. Who can do this? Nobody can take it out of my hand. Nobody can reverse what I have put into practice. Nobody can ignore the fact that I'm talking to my people, Israel, first and for you to understand the path towards resurrection, we need to understand this. That he is the ancient of days. He's come from ancient days. And he is supreme over all. Yeah. The ancient path laid out by the, from the ancient times, before there were days, was always put to show us that he holds the power over life and is able to bring death. That he is the one who holds resurrection power. He goes through and says, I am he. I am the one that can do this. I am the only one that can do this. And he wants them to know. And he wants them to get that down in their heart. And I want you to get that down in your heart today. That there is only one that we are talking about. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Say ancient of days when you get there. But doesn't it. Doesn't it help your engagement with God's word when you just read the plain text of what it says? That you see 
the plain objective that God has, the one nation that he is talking about. There's no other conjecture or insertion of opinion or emotion or ideas. We just stick with the word and trust what it says and then let it do the work. Now, Isaiah, existing in about the 700s B.C., I want you to hear what we're now going to read out of Deuteronomy, written during the time of Moses, around 1500 B.C., 800 years earlier than Isaiah. And I want you to listen to Deuteronomy 32, 39 in remembrance of what we just read out of Isaiah. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Just in case. Let me read back to you what we read in Isaiah. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? What is clear is that Isaiah is being inspired and led by the Spirit of God that is bearing witness to the very word of God spoken 800 years prior. And it is declaring that the Ancient of Days is the I am He. I am He who puts to death and the very one who resurrects and brings to life. And it's for the purpose that they would know the supremacy of their God. There is no gods beside him, behind him, before him, or next to him. He is the only one who holds and wields the power of life. He is the only one who has the ability to heal, deliver, and offer life to those he sovereignly chooses to give it to. But like Pastor was helping us along earlier, understanding resurrection is only obtainable by understanding God's relationship with Israel first and then how it applies to us. Particularly with days like today, that's such a, a dominant part of our culture that has been misaligned with the word in its application. We apply today to us first and then to everything else in the word. We're going to flip the script on it this morning. Yeah. We're going to look at it through the proper lens of the way that God has laid it out in his ancient text so that we can have a greater understanding of resurrection. We have a slide for you to help you to engage with this principle here. Throughout the book of Isaiah, there are many times that, that you understand that God, when God is speaking, he's saying, I am he. Repeat that after me. I am he. That God is speaking these words and you can see it throughout the book of Isaiah, but we have you know, about seven verses here that show it to you. Who has done this? Isaiah 41, 4. And carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning. Calling the end from the beginning. I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am He. From the beginning to the end, He is establishing who He is. We've read some in Isaiah 43. In verse 10 and 13 already with you this morning. In verse 25, it goes on to say, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Who is he speaking with in Isaiah 43? He's speaking to Israel, willing to blot out their sins for his own sake. 
Because he will be consistent and faithful to do it for them, you can rest assured that he can also be consistent to do it for you. But it starts with them and moves to you. Isaiah 46, even to your old age and gray hairs. <laughs> Amen. I'm working on mine, man. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. He blots out your sins. He, he sustains you. But first he sustains the people that he's speaking to, Israel. And then we get to be included in that. Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called, I am he. Are you getting the point here? Over and over God says this. Isaiah 52, he says, I am he who even comforts you. See, what God is doing here through the prophet Isaiah is establishing this principle of I am he. He's repeated, repeatedly, Isaiah is repeatedly proclaiming the name of the ancient of days and saying that it's I am he in order to declare the supremacy and the dominion of our God. See, God is wanting to display his supremacy through his people and ultimately through his very son. We've got another slide for you. Now, as we look at this, the previous slide in Isaiah was Isaiah standing in the office of a prophet to the nation of Israel. He is declaring who Yahweh God is to his people. Well, here we have Jesus declaring that he himself is I am he. In John 4, 4 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Verse 58 of John 8. Before Abraham was born, I am. John 13, 19. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. John 18, 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. <laughs> and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Has nothing to do with the annunciation or volume of saying this phrase. They fell down because the I am is saying that I am. Look, Isaiah was declaring the character, the function, and supremacy of the ancient of days. Jesus is declaring that he is Yahweh in the flesh, and he is the I am standing right there in front of him. But with that in mind, where is Jesus standing when he's saying this? In Israel. Who is he speaking to when he says these things? To Israel. Yet in his day and time, people heard him proclaim this. And some wanted to kill him for saying that phrase. They tried and failed. Eventually crucified him for it. Some wanted to follow him because he was saying that he was the I am. But none of them completely understood how he would prove it. Hasn't that happened before where God has spoken to you an understanding of his character and what he wants to work through you? And it was clear what he was stating, but you have no idea how he's going to carry it out? Well, that's putting ourselves in their shoes. Now, you may be like me and have always thought about the resurrection and started in the newer Testament. Yeah. You may have this week with your own family read through the book of Matthew and caught the final few chapters. Maybe you read through other accounts and you've been thinking about the resurrection because goodness gracious, our calendar calendar is telling us that it's resurrection Sunday. 
we're walking you through a path of where you should be starting to think about the resurrection, which is in the ancient path starting from the beginning, starting from what God had said and moving towards so that we can see when Jesus is saying, I am he. By the way, do you know that one of the arguments in the New Testament, it's a dumb argument, but it's an argument nonetheless, is that Jesus never actually claims that he's God? Because some people are thinking in English and they have no idea about the history of what he's saying. We have just shown you on the screen at least seven times when he says, I am he. I am. I am who I am. Who do you think he is? He's telling you, and the people of his day understood it, that he was claiming godhood. You know why? Because they wanted to kill him when he said it. Let's go to John chapter 11, and let's start piecing these things together. John 11 and verse 23. We have laid some groundwork, and now it's time for some revelation to be built on top of it. I love my church. Hungry people for the word. John eleven twenty three. 23, it says this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So this is the story of Lazarus. Everybody familiar with the story of Lazarus? Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I've heard about the resurrection. I know that there's some resurrection that is coming off way in the distance. Maybe some of us in this room are like Martha today. And when we're talking about resurrection, you're saying, yes, it's the hope of Christianity. First Corinthians 15 directly says that without it, we're pity, we're pitiful. It's terrible if we don't really have resurrection. But perhaps you think that we're only talking about a resurrection that is in the last days, somewhere off in the future. She's saying, I know, I know what I, let me tell you what I know. Can I encourage you today that some of what you think you may know is probably the enemy of what you need to learn today? I know he will rise again in, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. You're talking about a resurrection, and I am standing before you. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Why do we keep going back and forth? I thought you said that I would live. Yes. Yes, you will live. But there's a resurrection kind of life that Jesus is presenting to, to Martha here. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives, listen to this, by believing in me, the resurrection, the life, the I am, will never die. Now which one is it? Even though you die or you will never die? Yes! It's a resurrection power that we need today. It's like some type of power that he's saying, when you believe in me, you can have a resurrection power that is applicable to you now. Somebody say now. now. You can have resurrection power today, church. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, we're going to talk about it in the future. You can get it then too. But those who believe in him, those who believe in the I am, you get resurrection power now. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of Lazarus, an Israeli brother. Oh yeah, that's right. A Jewish brother who's already died. He's, Jesus is proclaiming something that is so beyond what they were able to understand in the moment. It was revelation that he was coming to bring to them. He reveals that the I am is on the scene and there is no God beside him. There is none that is like him. He's showing that he has power over death and he has power over death now. He's declaring his resurrection power. He's declaring that he is the life. Of course there's an ultimate resurrection. But there's also resurrection that's based on trust in him now. Come on now, church. That is what is needed now. Whoever lives by believing in me now will not die, even though you die. But you won't die. Because you're living a life with resurrection power. That not even death can then begin to stop you. Because death surely can't stop him. In this case, death is not the end. It is not the end. Not when the I am is on the scene. There is not an amount of opposition in the world. But what he's trying to do is say that the resurrection power is here to make you engage in this battle. To give you a fierceness, a strength, a tenacity to engage with what I'm doing. Because death and any other fear should not be stopping you. Because the I am has arrived on the scene. The resurrection and the life is here with us. Let's take a look at Matthew 28. As you're turning there, you know what this statement is aimed at doing, meaning the one that he spoke to Martha in John 11? There's no shrinking back. There's no room for cowardice when confronting even death itself. How many lives are consumed with planning for what happens after their death? Leaving an inheritance, burial plots. I mean, uh, let's back up a little bit just in the lifespan of a human being. I know there's a show called The Walking Dead. But I can go just about anywhere and see people that are living that are The Walking Dead. They're living but not living in resurrection power. What begins to happen to you when fear, cowardice, faithlessness, let's call it for what it really is, begins to cause you to shrink back from what God made you to be? You turn into the walking dead. You have no hope. You have no power. You have no strength. You're ineffective in advancing God's kingdom and taking down his ancient hostilities. So what does Jesus tell you? I am the resurrection and the life. You can live through me. You can live by believing, trust, grounded obedience being demonstrated through me. If you are wrestling with cowardice, if you are wrestling with faithlessness, today is a day to experience resurrection power. It will raise you up. It will get you out of bed. It will get you off your behind. It will get you moving in the kingdom. And it's what other people need from you as well. Matthew 28. 
The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Amen. Who was crucified? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. But get this, just as he said, he called the shot. He declared it to Martha. He proved it through Lazarus. And now here's the declaration of his ultimate victory. He ain't here. It's empty. Come and see. She was from, or the angel was from Louisiana. Come see, babe. Come see the place where he lay. Then here's the action. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So verse 8 continues as the woman carry out what he told them to go quickly and do. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Get this, afraid yet filled with joy. Oh, what a place to be in. You want to know what it looks like to carry out the will of God? It's being afraid, but filled with joy. Lord, I, told, I, I know you told me to lay hands on that dead person. I'm afraid and I'm filled with joy. I know you told me to witness to my neighbor who just got out of prison and got back home yesterday. I'm afraid and I'm filled with joy. Hey, I have homework to share in my ministry training class. I'm afraid and yet I'm filled with joy. This is what it's like to be obedient. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be faithless. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The risen, resurrected Messiah, he set up a meeting place. He established it to gather his brothers. It was his disciples, but it was also his Israeli brothers that he was gathering in the northern part of Israel. And he said, you will see me. You will witness me there. You are my witnesses of my display of resurrection power. You are the witnesses that see that I am God and there is none other like me. What the resurrected Messiah is doing here as he did for Martha is that he is bringing them back to a place of hope. A place of resurrected confidence and hope that they could have in him. Ooh, did you hear that resurrected hope? A resurrected hope. That makes me think of only one passage right now. Let's turn to Ezekiel 37. Yeah. Ezekiel 37. We're going to start in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, 
And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. You guys with me? You're, you're envisioning this? Yeah. The Spirit of the Lord is taking Ezekiel and he's showing him this valley. And he's making him go back and forth. And what is Ezekiel's takeaway? There's a lot of bones here. And in case you didn't get it, the bones were very dry. <laughs> you're already dry if you're bone. But we're saying very dry. Verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Isn't that what Jesus asked Martha? Do you, is, 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 aren't we getting there? Can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And maybe there's a tune that's starting to race in your head right now. But dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. See, this is very similar to the same question that the I am asked to Martha in John 11. The I am is asking Ezekiel now, can these dry bones live? Can you see what the reality is before you? And I'm asking you a question. Can these dry bones live? The same solution that Jesus gave to the woman at the tomb. Go and proclaim. Is here what he tells Ezekiel. When you start engaging with what re the resurrection power is about. Can these bones live? Can, is there resurrection power? Can they come back to life? When you begin to engage with that. The solution for Ezekiel here is that he's supposed to go and prophesy. Like the women at the tomb. Go and proclaim that what is about to happen. Because you've got to hear the word of the Lord. Yeah. It is attached to the resurrection power. Is you hearing the word of the Lord. Look at verse 10. You know, before we read it. When I was imagining dry bones. I'm imagining a deep deep level of hopelessness something that is impossible to bring back to life you know God designed you to encounter others and help them face the impossible of what's in their life can this marriage really be put back together can these cycles of sin really be broken in my life and I don't keep repeating it over and over can I restore parenting to my household and not just parent out of fear of being like my own parents? Can I really rise to the level of discipleship that my pastors think that I can? See, what Jesus asked Martha is, do you believe this? That's what we're asking you this morning. Do you believe this? Will you show trusted, grounded obedience and demonstrating that you believe this. Let's look at verse 10. So I prophesied. As he commanded me. And breath entered them. He was obedient. Prophesied and breath entered them. They came to life. And stood up on their feet. A vast army they were. Come on. Ezekiel is walking in obedience. Prophesying as the Lord commanded him to and life filled these dry bones and what did they become saints a vast, a vast army oh they did not become a flag corps 
They did not become a soccer team. They did not become a, a parade of flutes and trumpets. They became a vast army before the living God. Why does God breathe breath inside of you? It's to become part of his vast army. Come on. Because he wants to demonstrate the supremacy and dominion of who he is as the ancient of days. Saying the I am has showed up. The I am is on the scene. I am the one who puts to death and brings to, to life. There is no God like me. This should bring great hope to impossible situations. This should bring great hope. Hope that even of the driest of bones, the most dead of endeavors can be brought back to life. Come on. What are we celebrating today? We're celebrating the fact that even the driest and most desperate and despair situations can be resurrected. That's a good word. Let's continue on in verse 11. Then he said to me. Now here's the interpretive key to end all interpretive keys right here. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Wait a minute. Does that mean all Texans? No. Push up. Okay. When you are thinking about the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, the very first place that you need to be reminded of where this resurrection power flows from and flows to is that these bones that he's talking about are the people of Israel. They say, the people of Israel say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Just because we can find some similarities in our own situation, let's not divorce it from the very place that this starts from. Yeah. He is saying to his nation, I will bring them back. They may look like not just bones in a valley, but dry bones in a valley. And I can cause my word to be spoken to them and they will rise up and become my vast army. The army of the Lord. First and foremost, Israel is the recipient of resurrection power. Yeah. I'm going to say it again because we're Gentiles and we need, and, and we need it. First and foremost, Israel is the recipient of resurrection power. Yeah. If you don't believe me, take a look at, well, the Bible. But specifically like Romans 9. Theirs is the adoption there to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. Theirs are the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. And theirs is also the resurrection of the dead. My goodness, if we keep skipping to how it relates to us, if everything you read in the word is based on you first, no wonder we don't actually walk in resurrection power. No wonder the hopelessness overwhelms us. No wonder the despair of our daily situation. Yes, we know there's a resurrection far off. And I guess we'll just be kind of miserable and useless between now and then. That's not what this church is about. That's not who you are. We are looking at it and saying, first, these bones are the people of Israel. And we don't divorce the resurrection power from his people, the nation of Israel. It was displayed in the land there for the people of Israel by the God of Israel. 
This is where we start. But as we start there, it begins to address the despair, the hopelessness, the bones that are dried up, the hope that is gone, the fact that they feel cut off. I can assure you that nothing that is, you've engaged with in your life would make you feel more hopeless than, the, than these people that we're talking about. And if God can bring them back to life and resurrect yeah. them, then he can surely resurrect Amen. you in your situation. Amen. The right path for us, church, is not to realize what he can do for us first. That makes us selfish Christians. You start with who he began with, his people, and you are encouraged by the resurrection that starts with them. You get a chance to see it. You get a whole Bible that's proclaiming his promises. And then you can know, you can trust, you can have your hope rise because if he'll do it for them, he can surely do it for you. If he'll do it for them, he can work in your life and bring. See, Martha was in despair. The disciples were in despair. The people of Israel have been in despair. But resurrection power has come. And it's going to be first for them and then for us. And we get to join in. Amen. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Hey, let's continue reading in Ezekiel 37 with verse 12 and see how this concludes. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. Or no alternative is will know that I am who I am. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God chose the nation of Israel to display his resurrection power through, so that the nations would take notice, draw near to the God of Israel, and join the hope and resurrection power of Israel. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11, church. As we get ready to work through a few more scriptures before we get to experience some resurrection power of the Lord in this house today. Romans 11, 11. Amen. When you understand and put Israel at the center of the Bible and the center of the plan, the entirety of God's word begins to make perfect sense. It begins to to open up to you in new ways so that you can experience exactly what the Bible says that you should. Verse uh, Romans 11, 11. Again, I ask, did they, did Israel stumble so far as to be beyond recovery? Not at all. No way. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Wow. No matter what 2,000 years of faithless theologians have said, that they stumbled and they could not be recovered. So we had to come in and replace them. What a wickedly faithless take on what the Bible says. Paul is saying, have they stumbled so far to be beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, their transgressions gave you a chance to come in and be a part of it. Even when God's people mess up, other people get blessed. But if their transgressions, transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for us as Gentiles, 
how much greater will their full inclusion bring? Yeah. How much greater will it be when he starts to resurrect them and move on them and yes. begin to bring them in? Yes. Verse 13, I am talking to you, Gentiles. Don't you love it when the word is that clear? Yeah. See, you got to Ezekiel and you've all heard the Valley of the Dry Bones and you read one more verse and you realize, I am talking about the people of Israel. Oh, these bones are the people of Israel. Here in this verse, he's talking to us. Paul is speaking to us. I'm talking to you, Gentiles. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, who's the there? If Israel's rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will Israel's acceptance be but life from the dead? You want resurrection power? Then you want to see them experience it first so that we can experience it with them. You don't get it if they don't get it. Now, I know that, that, that some of you are sitting here going, man, this is good. But this is not a normal Resurrection Sunday. Shouldn't you be telling us all the things that we need to do first? Shouldn't you be focusing the entire message on us? No. We're focusing where it needs to be. If their rejection brought reconciliation, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Resurrection power. You want the secret to the resurrection power? Then you start on the ancient path where God put it. And then you're able to join in the battle. He's not just resurrecting you so you can feel good about yourself. My goodness, what is God doing in our midst? He's helping us to go, this is not centered around you. I didn't save you for you. I'm not going to resurrect you for you. Oh, that's a blessing, by the way. You get to enjoy the blessing, but that's not the point. His point is, is that his resurrection power will come so that he can show you, I am he. There is none like me. I will go to war against my enemies and they cannot stop me. Do you want to be a part? Do Do you want to be used by me? Yes, Lord. Then I will bring you resurrection power. Come on now, church. We get this moved in the right direction and God begins to work in us in powerful ways. No enemy can deliver out of God's hand. He is the ancient of days. From before there were days, he says, I am he. When I act, no one can reverse it. How would you like it for us to be a people who so act like God is instructing us that no power can reverse what you're able to put your hand to? That no power, but we start with God's people. Come on, when they get resurrected, we get resurrected. Man, that's a good word. Uh, I want to say that again. When they get resurrected, we get resurrected. Come on, we're standing in a day and time when we see an actual nation of Israel that has been established. Established in 1948 and for millennia did not exist. But God resurrected them back from the dead. But yet there is more still to resurrect for that nation. And there's more still to resurrect for us. Let's go to Isaiah 49. We're going to pick up in verse 3.
He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Let me read that a little bit differently. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my resurrection power. Amen. Skip down to verse 6. He says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God has chosen his nation Israel to display the splendor of resurrection power to us. That is that light to the Gentiles. That is that hope of resurrection and salvation power. Because God's plan of salvation was always designed and purpose. To reach the ends of the earth. But we must understand that it starts with the restoration, the revitalization, and the resurrection of God's people first. And then the light of salvation for Gentiles comes fully into focus. Come on. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 20. We're going to bring this into crystal clear summary for you here in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. It says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now you can look at the triumphant gospel throughout the entirety of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Understand that the whole gospel story by the way, is the entire chapter here, but it's showing us the power of the resurrection. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, through a Jewish man, who is the king of the Jews in the land of Israel. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Oh, there it is. See, you get to experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life, but it's each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. Why? Because he was given the ultimate authority, the ultimate dominion, the ultimate power. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, including the last enemy to be destroyed, which is death. The ultimate marker of the resurrection power. See, Christ's death, Christ's power over death as the I am allows us in turn to experience the resurrection power. The ancient hostilities and enemies were disarmed. They were made a public spectacle of as Jesus triumphed over them at the cross. This is leading toward the glorious, irreversible understanding of who the I am is. That when he arrives, when he comes riding in on the clouds, he will destroy all dominion, authority, and power. This resurrection power will so permeate God's creation that even death will be destroyed and only life will endure. So why are we celebrating resurrection power today? Why are we doing this? Why is it this here? It's because today we are talking about the resurrection power so we can learn from Martha. We can learn that we're not just talking about an end time resurrection somewhere off in the future, but we something that we need today. Everybody say today. today. Say now. now. We need his resurrection power now. 
There is great hope for the future, but we need His power at work in us now. We can learn from Ezekiel. Like the dry bones of Israel will be resurrected. And if they're going to be resurrected, then so can we. If the hope of the resurrection can end their hopelessness and their despair, then it can do the same from us. We can learn from Paul that our inclusion in the process does not cause them to be excluded from the process. As a matter of fact, we can only experience resurrection when they do. Church, we have to learn today from Christ that our everyday Christianity must display the dominance of God through his resurrection power at work in you. I'm going to say that again for us. We're one hour and four minutes and we are almost towards our closing here. You have to understand that resurrection power is something that is vitally necessary because of the warlike nature of what you're involved in. The ancient path of resurrection power is a bloody path. It is a warlike path, and God keeps calling. He keeps sounding the cadence of the war drums to us at this church, for you here in this room. Again and again, he is pounding the cadence of the war drums, and he's saying I, that you need to walk in resurrection power because I have a war to win, because I have battles to fight, and the only way that you're going to make it live or die, is that you have my resurrection power at work in you. Church, it is time for us to unite in a death like his so that we can unite with him in a resurrection power like his. And that uniting with his power must be seen today. Realize that Jesus, king of the Jews, he displayed the model of how to obtain resurrection power. First for the nation and then for us. That there's a call for them to unite with him like in his death. So that they can receive resurrection power. Equally there's a call for us. And what is God aimed at in this entire endeavor? Restoring hope. Restoring hope that Israel will be what they have been called to be. They'll be the chief among nations. That God's glory will go out from Zion and reach the whole earth. The same for us. God wants to resurrect your hope in what he has called you to do. And you are to take evidence of what you have seen God do for Israel. Because if he's done it for them and you are in him, he will do it for you. Let's go to Colossians 2. We'll start reading in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Our hope 
in the resurrection is seen by our obedience to join him in his death. And when we do, it will be a clear display that the I am is superior and dominant above all other gods. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is our final scripture for today. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says this. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, this is an encouraging scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures, maybe in the entirety of the word, but I have to let you in on a little secret. I often disconnect this from the rest of chapter 15. I think about it and saying, yes, I need to stand firm. Okay, good. Uh, Lord, I want to do that. I'm going to let nothing move me. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give myself fully to the work of the Lord so I can know that my labor is not in vain. The context of this verse is that resurrection power must be present inside of you. No matter how much you want to stand firm by yourself, it's not going to happen. No matter how much you want to let nothing move you, without resurrection power, you are tossed to and fro. The idea that your work in the Lord is, is, is in vain. My goodness, how many times have I felt that? What I keep missing is what maybe you're missing today too, is that this is based on resurrection power being seen inside of you. You must have the resurrection power at work in you today. Stand with us today as we close. I want to encourage you in something. I want to encourage you in this. That maybe you need to be like Martha today and understand that his resurrection has to be at work in you now. That when we're talking about joining with him, Jesus is looking at you today like he did at Martha and saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. When we join with him in the burial, we get to join with him in the death and the burial. We get to join with him in the resurrection power. And that's what today is about. Amen. It's about you walking in the power, the resurrection power of the heavens. We need this. We need this so that we can, in fact, stand firm. We need this because there is warfare that is around us. And you will not make it unless the resurrection power is at work in you. Many have tried. And there's none of us in this room that are strong enough to do it without it. But not just in the last days. We need it in this day. We need it inside of us working so that we can understand like Martha. It's not just for then. It's for now. It's to bring back the hope. What areas of dry bones do you have in your life that have become hopeless? That have become not just dry, but very dry. Trying to maneuver it, trying to work through it on your own. Trying to raise yourself and stand firm like 1 Corinthians 15 says. But you need the resurrection power that will first be seen in Israel, but must be seen in us today. Our call is going to be simple for you. 
This altar is a place of hope today. This altar is a place of encouragement today because this altar is a place of resurrection power today. Resurrection power is what we need and is what he is ready to give you today. As Pastor Matt begins to lead us in prayer and closes us here, I want to encourage you that today is the day and that now is the time for you to be connected to that ancient pathway of resurrection power. So as I pray, come to this altar and crush fear. Come to this altar and deal with despair that will be displaced with the hope. Let faithlessness, let cowardice be consumed by his resurrection power because if he did it for Israel, he can do it for you right now. Lord, we lift up to you our souls. We lift up to you our hearts and minds. We say, Lord, we need, want, ask for your heavenly power of resurrection at work in us. We say, come Lord, destroy our fear. Destroy our hopelessness. Destroy this despair that is dry bones and produce in us life, resurrection life. That we may carry that life for everyone that we come in contact with, bringing them the same resurrection power that we've experienced in you.